0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the my BFF business leaders podcast. This podcast is designed to focus the spotlight on leading voices throughout the world of business. From marketing and technology to energy and finance, this podcast will feature brilliant minds that are shaping the future of every industry. There has never been a better time to make more business friends forever. So let's get started.
1: I as a person of color, in America, have parts of my experience that are significantly different than a white or caucasian person in america has and it's probably very ethereal to most americans who are not black that there's this strained um not just adversarial but disconnect disconnected relationship between law enforcement and people of color for literally a fear of their lives
0: On this episode of the My BFF Business Leaders Podcast, we are joined by the COO of Keller Williams Capital Properties, Dante Carroll. Dante started out his career with Remax and has worked in leadership roles with such well-known real estate brands as Century 21 and Long & Foster. In his current role, he oversees the operations of eight offices and over 1,000 sales professionals throughout the Baltimore, Washington metropolitan area. Dante is a true leader that never stops adding to his own personal value proposition. Whether it's coaching, strategic planning, or business development, he continues to drive deep, long-term organizational value that adds to the bottom line. A longtime friend and colleague of my BFF social founder, Matt Gentile, our special guest host for this episode.
2: Welcome, Dante. Super uh, excited to have you here today. Uh, you and I have known each other for, I don't know, maybe over 10 years now since our days at Reology you know, what have you been up to? Tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, what your current role is. I, I've i kind of studied a little bit on LinkedIn to get an update on where you've been, but uh, uh, please tell us for yourself.
1: Well, Matt, thank you for the opportunity to reconnect. I um, certainly consider you one of my um, good friends that I've met along the way in this business, and I'm appreciative of a chance for us to have this conversation. Um, you're right. It's been roughly a dozen or so years, I think, since we first met, and um, lots has changed, I think, in Um, That time, uh, last I left you in the the Realogy world, I was the VP of the Mid-Atlantic for Ops and Service, Um, went on to Long & Foster for seven years after, um, becoming the uh, regional manager and senior vice president for the Long & Foster Northern Virginia region, um, which at that time and and to this day is the largest, most profitable piece of the Long & Foster footprint. So, ostensibly running um, that portion of the business, which equated to back in 2018 what would, have been, what would have been the ninth largest real estate company in the country um, if it were a standalone? Um, I decided to shun that opportunity um, and have nothing but good things to say about uh, the experience I had at LNF. However, the experience I would not have gotten there was the opportunity to become an equity partner in a firm that I was helping to build unless I was willing to cough up um Money to Mr. Buffett at the tune of two hundred eighty-five thousand dollars a share. I believe is what Berkshire Hathaway trades at somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, so came to KW um, Capital Properties, which is um, DC-based firm, uh, eight locations, roughly a thousand agents, uh, two point four billion in sales volume, roughly five or six thousand five and five thousand five hundred or so transactions um, at the end of twenty nineteen. Got an opportunity to work, uh, get an opportunity to work with Bowman Keedy, who has um, started with five agents um, 13 years ago and, and built out a pretty sizable, independent, uh, well, branded um, franchise uh, with KW. And I am now his, his business partner and managing partner for the, uh, the real estate operations and um, the ancillary services that we are building or have built around um, the business. So that sort of catches you up to where we are today. Uh, And certainly looking forward to uh, um, having some robust dialogue with you.
2: Yeah, yeah. So congratulations on everything you've accomplished since, you know, leaving the Century 21 and and, and Realogy uh, uh, brands. Um, You know, now that you're with KW, you know, when when I was there, uh, KW was climbing. Um, you know, Century 21 at that point was the largest real estate franchiser in the world. And I think right. they they've been surpassed now, uh, unless I'm mistaken, and I don't I don't track this every day like I used to. Um, but uh it's my understanding that KW uh has surpassed uh that brand and, and continues to grow.
1: That is correct. Um as of, of I, I want to say at the end of 2018, um KW was the largest real estate um, brand in the world um, about hundred and sixty plus thousand agents right now throughout the world and um, we do more transactions than than any other real estate brand uh, in the business right now
2: what makes kW such an attractive value proposition for professionals you know like yourself and and agents
1: well i think i think there's a there, there are a variety of answers. The one that I'd like to speak to, though, most is um, the nonlinear real estate space that exists in the KW world. And by that, I mean, you know, if it's whether it's pick a brand, C21, Cobalt Banker, there's agent, maybe have a team, maybe you become a branch manager, you could maybe become a franchisee, what have you. Um, in the world of KW, it's it's certainly obviously a real estate organization. Um, but much more than that, in that you can be an agent, you can be a coach, you can be a trainer, you can be an investor in, in a market center or what we would equate to a branch office and other brands. You can be an operating principal, You could, which means that's a broker owner. Um, you could have equity in um, a team or you could build a, a mega team. So there are so many paths on the opportunity map for um, the, the KW experience um, that it, it creates much more than a very linear kind of laid out. There's two, three things that you can do um, in the space of being in, in that real estate model. In our model, you can do this and this and this and this and this and those things. Um, certainly, as long as it's legal, ethical and moral, um, there's no conflict of interest with regard to what your opportunity path might look like
2: got it got it so a lot more flexibility as it relates to you know opportunity it, it's interesting Absolutely. I, I always enjoy hearing the the various value propositions from you know the real estate brokerage community now given all that's happened over the past 3 months um, you know with covid-19 and and uh, all that is is transpiring across our nation how is the real estate market kind of taking it from the you know the macro level and and boiling it down to more of the micro market level for you and and the the Baltimore Washington area, how's the how is the market uh, responding, and and how is it specifically in your market? So
1: obviously, the old um, the axiom in real estate is is you know real estate is local, right? And if you think about the DMV, the District Maryland Virginia market, by and large, there's no such thing as a recession proof market. I would argue though that the DMV um, this time certainly, and even last time, you know. 10, 11 years ago when we had the Great Recession, um, is is more recession resistant than most markets. So while we saw um, a change in market conditions relative to what the trajectory had been um, as a result of COVID, we are starting to see signs of that rebound happening probably a lot faster um, in our marketplace than maybe some others. But interestingly enough, outside of the beltway, um, those markets in the the more moderate to lower price points, relatively speaking, in D.C., which is um, $300,000 or so, um, they remain pretty consistent even through COVID. Um, And what we're seeing now, I think, across the industry, um, whether it's our brand or um, I think real estate in general, is so COVID has become a forcing mechanism for the modernization of the industry in terms of some of the best best practices that will move forward that were somewhat ethereal as it relates to operating in digital space, um, electronic transacting on the mortgage and title side, much more than just the real estate side. COVID's become a forcing mechanism to bring the business up to speed, really, with where the rest of the world is in many spaces. Um, so, how I see the impact of this um, on what we do most um, on, a, on a macro, on a micro level in, in our world is that now this is an opportunity for us to design, to be the architect of what uh, a, f- a forward-facing, um, post-COVID, digital, enhanced, still physical experience of being an agent or a consumer looks like in the space of real estate. And that's a pretty exciting place to be. It's scary because I, in, in some ways because nobody's really figured it out. At the same time, it creates a tremendous opportunity that you become the architect of what that looks like as opposed to having somebody tell you and have what that experience is thrust upon you, if that makes sense.
2: It does. And it's it's interesting to hear you kind of cover off on, you know, what what KW has done to um, not only survive in the the uh, COVID-19, you know, era that we're living through, uh, but thrive and plan for, you know, what it what what its next steps are and start to implement those steps right now. Uh, So it's it's you know, it's it's a very interesting take and uh, interesting to, to learn more of how they're approaching it. So now that uh, we've kind of, you know, kind of gone through a little bit of the business questions and, and got them out of the way, I'd like to ask you uh, on a more personal level. Uh, as a person of color, you know, what are your thoughts on George George Floyd's death and and the Black Lives Matter movement? Um, you know, what what can be done to help prevent these kinds of killings and 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 issue more meaningful reform as as we move forward? God, that's a.
1: That's another podcast in and of itself. I, I will chunk it, chunk it out as best I can. And, and certainly I'm offering perspective and, and my experience. Um, George Floyd's murder, because that's what it was. Um, I think was a. it happened at a time when the world had no other choice but to pay attention because of COVID-19. And in that, What it was illustrative of um, is the duality of the American experience that people of color versus the majority population in in America uh, deals with. And by that, I mean, these two things can be totally true at the same time. I, as a person of color in America, have parts of my experience that are significantly different than a white or Caucasian person in America has, and it's probably very ethereal to most Americans who are not black that there's this strained, um, not just adversarial but disconnect disconnected relationship between law enforcement and people of color for literally a fear of their lives. Um, Matt, I think you know me pretty well. I'm a family man, um, you know, professional. Um, you know, my only vice, as you might see, it might be that I, I support the Ravens, but by and large, you could swap me out um, with people that we know, Jim Ramsey, Patrick Sullivan, Brian Schaefer, in terms of the, the, the family construct and, and who I am as a person. What this George Floyd thing has done in many ways is awaken America to the two Americas that exist. And again, that duality of the experience um, is enlightening for a lot of people who didn't realize there was this whole world out there uh, in America that people of color experience that's different than what their experiences have been. And that, that that doesn't in any way lessen an experience that you have because it wasn't inclusive of my experience as, as a black man in America. You have to though acknowledge if we're going to have um, a fair and just society that that does exist. So you know, what I take away, and, and I think what the opportunity for us um, in this time is, is to awaken to the fact that we have um, social, political, legal constructs that have not been equal, that have not been just, and that over a period of centuries, not just years, over a period of centuries, have created um, dual constructs in America. And even go back to the founding fathers in terms of the three-fifths count of a black person as opposed to a, a whole like a, a man was was three-fifths of a man if you were black as opposed to um a whole man, if you will. And so it's it started at the beginning of this country. And 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 listen, at this let me be clear about this. America could be the greatest country on the planet, and it is, and at the same time, um have a racist history um and construct. and and systems that need to be addressed to make it even greater. Those things are not diametrically opposed, so they can both exist at the same time. Um, And so the consciousness of America, I think, in many ways, has been um, drawn to and awakened in a way that this time is uniquely positioned for, with the advent of social media and the ability of people to communicate and transmit good, bad, or indifferent messaging and and um show the world as they see it to a to to an entire world, and so when you think about what you're seeing in this George Floyd thing, you know it's not by accident that you see like protests and riots in Australia and Germany and England and France and all parts of the world because injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere if if you believe in the idea of Men being created, men and women being created equal, and none of us are really different. And and you know, in terms of like you know, if you're O positive and I'm O positive, it doesn't matter that we have different skin complexions. We're like the same insides. Like that's, I mean, that's it's so crazy when you think about that 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 this construct of of um, inherent bias and racism racism exists to the degree that it does. When I look at it like interchangeable parts, right? It's like a car. Like if you're a Camry and I'm a Camry your engine will work in my body. My, my, my chassis will work on my chassis and in my frame. And the same thing with you, right? So like, if you logically deconstruct this idea of of like race and inequality, it absolutely makes no sense. And when you go way arc back to the, the original question, and when you think about the lack of humanity shown to your fellow citizen, with a guy putting his knee on the neck of another man and literally squeezing the life out of him. Um, You can't sit. you, You no longer have the luxury of sitting back. You no longer have the privilege of not like addressing this issue. And you have to address the issue in a way that says, listen, like Matt, Dante, you guys weren't around in 1619 or 1865. And it's not a conversation about fault. So I think if I could, there's one, if there's a person who would listen to this podcast who is white, it's not a conversation about fault. It's a conversation about responsibility. If you know this is happening and you believe in what America stands for, then you have a responsibility to do your part to ensure that this is a fair and just society for all. And if you think about the concept, of Black Lives Matter to to just address that second part of the, your original question. Original question. Um, I would I would encourage people not to hear when they hear Black Lives Matter that they matter more. You should probably add a comma in the word T-O-O to that statement. And it's kind of like when you hear like save the whales, nobody's saying the other fish don't matter, but the whales are in danger. So save the whales, right? And if you think about that conceptually, that's that's the movement. That's saying, hey, like our lives matter too. And it doesn't matter that you're Dante, who's like, you know, has been an executive and leader and a business owner and partner in real estate for twenty plus years and, and straight arrow, if you will. I've got the same hairs that stand up on my back when I see police cars at night than and, and my 23-year-old son has that same experience, never having been in trouble with the law before a day in his life, college graduate, blah, blah, blah. But there is something wrong if that in our society if that is a constant, no matter what your socioeconomic background may be. And the only constant in that is that you are a person of color.
2: That's really strong. And thank you for sharing your thoughts and, and opinions on that. I'd say, you know, um, the only thing I would add, is as a you know someone who grew up in the eighties and nineties, as a as an American, I always felt like a lot of these issues uh, had already been settled in the sixties, uh, in seventies. So, you know, the the things that we're seeing and experiencing and hearing and watching, you know, to me are. Uh, <laughs> Disappointing and 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 upsetting and a little bit uh, disconcerting. Um, I just felt like as a nation we had made a lot more progress than we're demonstrating. So um, I, I just want to pause and, and thank you for sharing, you know, your thoughts and experience, um, you know, with our listeners.
1: I want to maybe dot that with one one slight pushback. Right. So imagine this. So Matt and Dante are are on on the racetrack right and we're in we're in starting formation for the race and the the pistol goes off to start the race and dante takes off and matt's held in in his in his holding position in his his ready position right and that's let's add some dates to that right let's make it 1619. so dante gets to run beginning in 1619 and then Matt gets released from the gate in 18 Let's just let's be liberal. Let's say 1865. When is when is Matt going to catch Dante? I got a 250 year head start. Right. How do, right. How do we how, do, how how fast would you have to run to catch up with me?
2: No, it's an it's it's an incredible point. And it it, you know, I think it crystallizes for a lot of people what this moment is all about.
1: Right. And so so it's a Herculean Herculean task in terms of trying to like just unravel. It's, It's it's a complex construct. Right. And it's you could again i said that's a that's a that's another podcast you could spend hours on that and i, I certainly want to make this the the gen, i don't want to make this the crux of what we talk about i think there's a lot that we can cover in this but i certainly appreciate the fact that you've given some level of importance to like a very topical and and clearly a, a pretty important issue that we're dealing
2: with today yeah thank you um so on that on that same vein um what has uh kw and and their leadership done to respond to to the you know, to, to the moment.
1: Well, I, I think it was very interesting. Again, this is I'm not sure if I said this in the beginning, but this is my twentieth year in real estate and this is my fourth real estate organization. So I've been in the room with Dave Linegar, who founded Remax. I've been in a room with at the time that you and I shared, Alex Perello and Richard Smith Richard Smith, um, in rooms with those individuals, right? Um, as part of an, a leadership team, as part of that company. I've been in a room with Wes Foster, the founder of Long and Foster, right? This is the first time I've heard that the leader at the top of the house of any real estate organization admit that there's a problem with racial disparity in this country, let alone say that there's a problem in real estate. So I think Gary Keller, to that end, recognizing the moment, I took an awful chance, right? An awful, an awful, an awful, he took a, he, he, he rolled the dice. And, and here's why I think it was an incredible roll of the dice. The issue wasn't going to be how the outside world of outside of KW responded to it. The issue was in your own house, there are some people who are going to vehemently disagree with you taking this position yet. This isn't a, a political issue. This is a moral issue. And I think in the moment he stood on his morality, he stood on his humanity, and he said, "I, as the leader of this organization, can't idly stand by and allow injustice to occur and not speak up." And I thought, like for, for me, um, that doesn't solve the problem, solve the problem. It's not a magic elixir by any stretch of the imagination. Yet it opens the door. So now we've got you know so- social equity ambassadors. And and there's going to be policy change um, as a result of folks having conversations about things that, like I said before, 20 years in this business, I I didn't hear people even acknowledge, you know, and I've been like in, in full candor, I've been in these rooms where I've been the only one who looks like me or one of the few who looks like me. And like, what I thought from the perspective of a person who lives this every day, who this is my, this is not my existence, not just my experience. I don't think anybody's ever asked me it from a leadership perspective. I don't think anybody's, I, I can't speak for what's in somebody's heart to say that they didn't care, but if, if their outward action is an indication of caring or not, the fact that they've never asked the question is an indication, maybe that it wasn't important enough or they don't care enough, to even have considered what it must be like for those, those po- folks in the, in the room, well, not in the room because I'm usually the only one, been the only one there. But in the in the ecosystem of real estate, or in the broader ecosystem of America, what your experience as an American of color must be. So I applaud Gary. That's a long way of saying I applaud him for going out and like beginning the courageous conversation rooted in morality and the stand that it's very hard to like. It, what does it say about you if you have an issue with saying I want a fair and just society for all? Like, was that like what kind of what kind of person must you be if that's something that you can't subscribe to? So that's my two cents on that. Again, I haven't had a direct conversation with Gary Keller about it. I can only go by um, what he's shared with the KW family by way of his, his letter and his words um, on some leadership um, Zooms that we've had. And they have been consistent around the idea that I can that I, meaning he in this case, can't stand by and allow um Injustice and disparity to happen without addressing it as best he can from the the stripe on the ball from which he sits. On which he sits. I'm sorry.
2: Well, thank you, thank you for your perspective on all this. Having someone of your caliber weigh in on this subject, it's important. It's important for for me personally. It's important for the industry and 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 for all of our listeners to to hear your thoughts. Now, while COVID uh, 19 and and the BLM movement have been front and center in the public consciousness. Uh, there's some other, you know, fairly important stories that are out there bubbling. Um, living in the Baltimore, Washington area, and and having the misfortune of of being a Ravens fan throughout, you know, it, how long have they been in the league? Three, five years? Um,
1: now, just just twenty manage- some and a couple Super Bowls later.
2: <laughs> how do you manage the politics of dealing with uh, Redskin fans in, in 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 you know basically uh, one mega market that that you're operating in? Well, I am a, I,
1: the red, I sympathize with Redskins fans. I, I appreciate much, much like Steelers fans have past delusions of glory, rightly so. And what their past performance has been. Right. And, and every year they go into a season thinking that this will be that year. Right. Yet, many cases, it becomes an effort in futility. So while I am not completely agnostic to the, the Redskins fans, I am certainly appreciative of um, like them circling the airport of success and not being able to land the plane for the last 20 years.
2: I'm sure it's a delicate line you have to walk there on occasion.
1: Uh, it, absolutely.
2: Now, uh, with, with Ben Roethlisberger healthy and the Steelers defense ascendant, I think you know. Wouldn't you agree? They're the odds-on favorite to win the AFC North, and you know, convert that for their seventh Lombardi Trophy this year.
1: I would agree with that if I were delusional, sure. Um, but if if they're going to win the battle of Cleveland, you get my support. They, I mean, they could they could win that battle. I'm absolutely sure that they could they could be the champs of Ohio.
2: Wow. Wow, we you realize four of our our players or personnel are being inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, right? I think that's is that four more than the Ravens have. I'm not. No, they I, no they they at least have one, but I think he was a Steeler, Rod Woodson. We
1: got a couple. We we got a couple. But but listen, you said earlier that you're a kid of the '80s, and I think Janet Jackson had a song back then that that went along the lines of "What have you done for me lately?" Um. So so. I just want you to think about that, Matt, in terms of your perspective on your team, and I appreciate
2: your loyalty to your cause. I appreciate it. I, I, I'll I'll leave it at this, uh, and and this is you know for the benefit of all of the AFC North, i we have possibly the greatest combination of quarterbacks leading each of our teams that the NFL has ever seen as we move into uh, 2020. So I, I am looking forward to some very serious competition. Uh, uh this season if pray pray for that there is one
1: hey i i hope there is a season and i don't know what rothersburg is like 47 now so he might have a good year or game left in him maybe i don't know but i, I appreciate the opportunity hey, to compete
2: come on tom Brady's gotta be 65 now big Ben's <laughs> like a you know a, a young millennial compared to him <laughs> all right so uh thank you uh and thank you for your time today lastly with all of our guests, we, we like them to answer a few questions that, um, you know, our listeners, you know, learn some things about them that you can't find on LinkedIn. Right. So uh, for the first one, we ask every guest, what was your first car?
1: An 83 Olds Cutlass Sierra, tan in color, had no, had no heat or AC, um, and I, I thought I was the cat's meow because I wasn't catching the bus anymore.
2: That is a sweet ride right there. Yeah. Now, what, uh, you know, what's, and this is uh, for everybody that's kind of going through this COVID 19 uh, stay at home uh, uh, pandemic. What are you currently watching on Netflix and what series would you recommend to our listeners?
1: Oh, boy. (sighs) I, I watch Little Fires Everywhere. That was probably my one of my surprise favorites of the pandemic, like watching Little Fires Everywhere. Um, the Messiah was also pretty good. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of like uh, obviously everybody watched The Last Dance, right? So watching The Last Dance was also pretty good. And I am I am attempting, although unsuccessfully at this moment, I am attempting to get into Ozark.
2: I we are we are. We are knee deep in the Ozarks right now. We are uh, in season three and it is every episode is uh, is, is is better than last. And I, I'm a big fan of Justin Bateman. So uh, it's 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 quite good. Okay.
1: So I, I will tell you, though, a couple of good reads in an audiobook though, that I, I found really good. Um, the Gift of Struggle by Bobby Herrera, um, Nonviolent Communication, Mar- Marshall Rosenberg. And so I've been working a lot on some personal development and communication skills because I think um, the next level of leadership requires um, an empathetic, like your EQ and your IQ have to be equally high. So those those are books that have been pretty impactful for me over the last couple of months um, in terms of just repositioning mindset around like the kinds of language I use, um, the importance of of like getting to like this whole thing of you as a married man you can appreciate um identifying what your feeling is versus what your need is and sometimes those aren't the same things being communicated and the power of the word should I mean there's a, all all sorts of stuff in the space of personal development that I've been working on the last um 90 days or so
2: well, that sounds really interesting. I'm going to make note of those books, too. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you. Now, uh, last question. If you could travel anywhere in the world, you know, post-COVID on an all-expenses-paid vacation, where would you like to go and what are some of the things you would do there? Man,
1: if I had to pick one destination... I'm going to go with a place that I haven't been, but I'd love to go to. And that would be Fiji um, because it's, it's like obviously beautiful. There's water, there's sun, there's island, um, and they're not, they're likely not going to be, it's not going to be like Honolulu. So um, there'll be people there, but just enough people. Uh, because I want to make sure I'm socially distanced and, and have an exotic experience that you just couldn't get anywhere else. So that probably would be where I want to go. If I had to pick a place that I've gone to before, um, the family went to Europe for the first time um, last year, last August, I would go back. I really enjoyed um, France and and England. I would go back France, England. I would also add Italy, Spain, um, I speak a lot of German although I've never been to Germany. Um I took German from 7th grade in middle school up through uh junior year in college so I'd love to uh, go to Bavaria and go to the Black Forest. That that's um I'm rambling on but that's the that's sort of my my list. It's my list. Nice.
2: Well, KW is global, so uh, you will probably have some, uh, you know, some some contacts all throughout. It's a write-off,
1: buddy. If if I make if I make real estate related yeah. <laughs> um, meetings a part of that
2: journey, right? Yeah, you, you might have to open up uh, KW Fiji. I don't know. There we go. There we go. <laughs> well, hey, thanks again for being on the program. Um, uh, I'm a little surprised Pittsburgh wasn't on your list, but um, I'm, you know, we'll edit that in, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you. Hopefully. Uh, We'll have a football season to uh, commiserate about.
1: Hey, Matt, I I appreciate you bringing me on to your platform and the ability to have this conversation with you. Um, I appreciate the One of the things that um, also I'd like to highlight just for purposes of just letting you know a level of personal appreciation I have, you are one of the very few people um, in my realogy days who has consistently um, maintained friendship and contact. And that means a lot to me, buddy, that you've done that. And there's never really this is the I think this may be the first ask in 12 years. Right. To come join you on your podcast. So that says a lot about you as a person and and much about your character and the value of relationships that you have. So I want to let you know that I am forever grateful for that.
2: Well, I appreciate that. and uh, I look forward to catching up with you soon.
1: All right, man.